All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. It's great to see you here today. Uh, thank you for gathering in worship. It's great to hear your voice as part of uh, the group of voices that are singing praise to Jesus. I mean, we do that a lot, so sometimes there's that, always that risk of, uh, of uh, that becoming normal or just something we do or like, oh, I like this song, and so we're just singing kind of thoughtlessly. But um, even still... May our hearts be oriented toward glorifying Jesus so that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart are pleasing in His sight because He is our rock and our Redeemer. So uh, thank you for being here, doing what you do uh, here and all week long in honoring Jesus. So today we are continuing in our Rock of Ages series. This is week number three in our learning adventure about the Apostle Peter. We're spending several weeks here at the beginning just getting to know Peter, spending time on purpose walking with him, kind of standing there watching him as he encounters Jesus, as he encounters others, who is Peter? We want to know this guy. And then later on in the series, we're going to start walking through his letters, the two letters that we have in Scripture, in the, in the biblical canon. We're going to start walking through those letters. But I think it's good for us, it's helpful for us to know who he is. Why is he writing? When is he writing? To whom is he writing? Kind of understanding the context, the, the purpose of his letters and things like that. So anyway, today's message is called Mistaken Identity. Mistaken Identity. Uh, my son Teddy and I have wa been watching a lot of Mr. Bean lately. Uh, I don't know if there's any Mr. Bean fans in the room, but uh, Teddy and I seven years old uh, and 49 apparently it's good ages to watch mr bean because we thoroughly enjoy it we've been watching a lot if you're not familiar with mr bean or if you're not a fan of mr bean one i'm afraid you're missing out and two frankly i'm afraid we're going to have a hard time being friends is that not, is that too strong i mean maybe i mean really though if, if you don't like mr bean uh, that's tantamount to not liking movies like Napoleon Dynamite or Nacho Libre. I mean, really, there's two different orders of people in the world, apparently. Ones I can be friends with and ones I just need to be... Yeah, an acquaintance, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, a little further out. Anyway, one of my favorite scenes, uh, one of my favorite Mr. Bean scenes is from the 1997 movie called Bean. Uh, where Mr. Bean is at the emergency room, or because it's in England, the A&E, the Accident and Emergency Department. He's there to visit a friend who's been injured. And uh, while he's there, a doctor walks by because it's crazy in the emergency room. And he's being asked, to, this doctor's being asked to like tend to so many different patients. He's like frustrated and stuff. He turns to go help a different patient and uh, unknowingly drops his stethoscope. His stethoscope had been draped over his shoulder and it slips off his shoulder and falls onto the ground. So Mr. Bean picks up the stethoscope uh, trying to be helpful and he attempts to catch the doctor, but he's unsuccessful. Some of you know where this is going. I see some, some knowing nods and smiles here. Uh, he picks it up and he, he tries to find the doctor, tries to catch him, but he's unsuccessful. So Mr. Bean, he begins wandering the halls of the A&E, of the emergency room, uh, with his stethoscope in hand. And as you can <laughs> probably anticipate, he is mistaken for a surgeon. Mr. Bean is mistaken for a surgeon. Why? Because he had previously been mistaken for an art scholar. 
He had been at a, at a museum at an art display, and uh, they would mistaken his identity and given him a name tag that said Dr. Bean. So there he is holding a stethoscope with a name tag that said Dr. Bean. So walking around to the A&E or the ER, he's uh, mistaken for a surgeon, and he is thus rushed into the operating room to prep for emergency surgery. As he is hurriedly being put into scrubs and he's being masked, he doesn't have time to tell the nurses that he's not a doctor. He doesn't have time to say, hey, I'm not a surgeon. So because he's Mr. Bean, what does he do? He decides to go along with it. He decides to go along and perform the surgery because why not? You're watching his movie called Mr. Bean, so why not? It's a hilarious case of mistaken identity and really a nightmare scenario. Uh, one time during the surgery, the patient who knows who Mr. Bean is wakes up from the anesthesia briefly, sees Mr. Bean, lets out a gasp in horror, and passes out <laughs> because he sees Mr. Bean pull his mask down. He's like, hi. <laughs> and uh, it's horrifying. Now, while it's not likely that you will ever be mistaken for a surgeon or an art scholar, it is very likely that at some point in your life you will be asked to do something that you don't feel qualified to do. Has this ever happened to you? You've been put into a role, you've been put into a position that it's like, what? I think there's a, mis a, a case of mistaken identity here. I don't think they, they know who I am. I think they've picked the wrong person. You'll be put into a situation that you don't feel qualified for. A time will come when someone will see something in you that you do not see in yourself. Maybe you've been put into those roles before and you're like, oh my goodness, if they ever find out, I'm done for. Can you go to jail for this kind of thing? I mean, can you be for a mistaken identity? Will I be an imposter? Will I be a fraud? Will I go to jail if they find out? When this happens, it can feel like a case of mistaken identity when someone comes to you and sets you on a course of responsibility and leadership, and it feels like a big challenge at best or a disaster in the making at worst. You understand? I mean, like the best case scenario is like, man, this is going to be a really stretching time. This is going to be a challenge. But then there's also that like blinking light of disaster, like, or this could go really wrong and everyone could die. I mean, this could just be a disaster, a cataclysm. We often have a settled sense of our identity, our abilities, and our roles in life. We kind of settle in. As we get older, uh, we settle into uh, what we understand about ourselves and also what we assume about ourselves. We know who we are, what we're capable of, and what we should be doing. And thus, as we get older, we dislike having those assumption disrupt assumptions disrupted, don't we? We kind of like to settle into our groove and just do our thing. Nobody gets hurt and we all go home at night and all is well in the world, right? We don't like it when people come along and disrupt that. Those assumptions start being disrupted. But here's the thing, in the life with Christ, we are constantly being called beyond our comfort. We're constantly, if you're truly following where Jesus is leading in your life, you're constantly being called beyond what is comfortable. You're being called beyond your established life patterns. And that is hard for us because we are creatures of habit. Are you a creature of habit? 
Are you a creature of habit more now than you were, say, 10 or 20 years ago? I'm not talking to the teenagers up there. They're like, no, I was uh, <laughs> learning to ride a bike. But, uh, but I think about it, like when you're in your 20s or 30s, maybe you're in your 40s or 50s or even 60s now, are, do you become more of a creature of habit later in life? I think I do, and maybe you do too. But we're creatures of habit. Think about all these people we read about in the Bible. And let's not forget that they too were people. They were people that were becoming more ingrained in their patterns and habits as they got older too. We read about these people in the Bible. Think about those people. Think about those people who were broadsided by God. They were broadsided by God and then called into a wildly different and seemingly uncertain future. I mean, that's a theme that really punctuates the Bible, right? Watch out, because God's going to come and set you on a whole different course. In almost every case, it had to feel like a case of mistaken identity, as if God had somehow chosen the wrong person for the job, that in the administrative room, the office of heaven, the files had somehow been mixed up. If you don't believe me, listen to this. Think about Moses. Think about Mary, about Jeremiah, about David, Isaiah, Paul. What did Moses say? <laughs> I'm tongue-tied. I, I can't speak. You've chosen someone who has a speech impediment. I can't be the mouthpiece of God to Pharaoh. Moses said, My, I'm tongue-tied. Mary said, I'm a virgin. How can this be? Jeremiah said, I'm too young. There's no way you can send me to do this. I'm too young. Think about David. What did David say? I'm a nobody. I'm the youngest of all my brothers, my well-qualified brothers, and I'm a nobody. What did Isaiah say? I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. There's no way I can be used. There's no way I can be sent. I'm unclean. Uh, Paul, what did Paul say? Uh, I've got an awkward history with the church. <laughs> You're calling me to be the kind of a headliner in the church, and you know my history, right? It's a little bit awkward, right? I mean, all of these people truly felt that God had picked the wrong person. None of them were just like making up excuses. These were deeply held assumptions in each of these cases. I mean, I think of Mary most of all. She's like, uh... I've even got biology on my side here. <laughs> I can't be pregnant. You know, and so, but each of them felt it just as deeply, just as strongly, like, no, God, I, I can't be the one you chose for this because I'm not qualified. I'm not capable of it. Could it be that the call of God in our lives always feels like that? Would it be an overstatement to say that the call of God in your life will always feel like it felt to those people in the Bible? It will always feel like God has picked the wrong person, like you are Mr. Bean being mistaken for a surgeon. That feeling, that like, uh-oh, why does God do this? Surely He's God and knows better, right? Surely He has a better plan than this, right? Why does God do this? Why doesn't He choose people who are, who are brimming with qualifications, who are confident, credible, and are just uh, widely regarded as competent in their field? Why doesn't He choose those people? Here's what I think. I think, I wonder if it isn't part of God's desire to demonstrate and display His strength. 
how he goes about what he's doing, who he chooses to be a part of his plan, he does it so that through them and through those circumstances, his power will be demonstrated and displayed, his strength, and it will be shown specifically through the weaknesses of those unlikely vessels. God chooses unlikely vessels. It's part of his plan. Who'd have thunk it? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here Paul is explaining this same phenomenon. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Do you hear that? Dear brothers and sisters, remember that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. God called you out of obscurity. He called you out of incompetence, lack of preparedness, so that He could use you and in doing that could display something to the world of His power and of His purposes. God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. Now, in a way, that's humbling, right? And it's also honoring that God would choose to use you and me, but the sense, the awareness that He is going to use me, He is using me, He has used me, should help us circle back to the place of humility that says, oh, I think I know why He picked me. Because <laughs> I'm foolish. I'm unwise. I'm weak. I'm incapable. That's probably why He chose me, right? It's humbling and honoring to find God calling us to join Him in His work. But He didn't choose us because of our abilities. He didn't choose us because of our qualifications. He chose us because of His ability to grow us, to, to use us, and to demonstrate His wisdom through foolish things. So as we continue in our study of the Apostle Peter, who was called Simon, but Jesus uh, calls him Peter, the Apostle Peter, we confront the fact that Peter, he was not an A-list candidate. He was not an A-list candidate to become what's called a Talmudim, a Talmudim, a disciple, a student of a rabbi. Okay, he was, not on the, he was never going to be hand-picked as a disciple of a rabbi in Israel. How do we know this? Because he wasn't. <laughs> he hadn't been. He was a grown man now. And if he had that potential, if he had that ability, if he had applied himself in that direction and been uh, qualified, he would have been chosen. But he wasn't. He was one of the, the majority of young uh, Jewish boys that were told, yes, you love the Lord. Yes, you know Torah. But you don't have what it takes to be a Talmudim. You don't have what it takes to be a follower of a rabbi, a disciple of a rabbi. His life course had long been set. His life's course had long been set by three things, circumstances, genealogy, and geography. Peter's role in life was determined primarily by his circumstances, his genealogy, and his geography. 
Why was Peter not the obvious choice? Well, to the casual onlooker at Peter, in, in Peter's time, in Peter's community, it was fairly obvious. It was pretty obvious. First, Peter was a fisherman. He was a fisherman, as his father was. He was part of a family fishing business. He was just part of the family business as a fisherman. Any aspirations to leadership in the religious community had long been abandoned by Simon Peter. and He had taken a, a wife, he had bought a house, and he had settled, settled comfortably into his boats among his nets. That was Peter's life. That's what Peter was about. He was a fisherman. Secondly, Peter was from Galilee. He's from Galilee. We read uh, Galilee, we read like Bethlehem, we read like Nazareth, because it's in the Bible it has kind of this like shiny tones to it, like, oh, Galilee, Nazareth, Bethlehem. You know, we hear all these words and we're kind of fond because we have songs about some of those towns, you know, things like that. But at the time, people were like, Galilee? That whole region is a bunch of backwoods yokels. I mean, that's like saying, you know, well, never mind. I mean, <laughs> someone's going to get their feelings hurt if I go <laughs> into that. But, um, but here's the thing. He was a backwoods yokel. As now, so it was back then, educated city dwellers, they dismissed those less educated rural folks. And it's not a distinctly American or modern thing that the city dwellers look down on the rural uh, country dwellers. People in the cities think that they're smarter, more sophisticated, and better than those who live out in the sticks. In Galilee was the sticks. Anyone with prospects was not from Galilee. Everyone, anyone with prospects was from Jerusalem and its surrounding environs. Let's look at Matthew chapter 26. Maybe you remember this story. Uh, Matthew 26. This is after Jesus has been arrested and he's been taken uh, into custody. And Peter has, denied, has followed after Jesus, being partly bold, right? But trying to be disguised, trying to be discreet. He's following after Jesus, and this is just before he denies Jesus three times, right? Matthew 26, verses 69 through 74. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You are one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out, uh, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. We know who you are. We can hear it in your voice. We know, we can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. So Peter was a fisherman. Secondly, Peter was from Galilee. And third, again, he's from Galilee, but it means something different here. Because he was from Galilee, not only was he a backwoods yokel, he was also religiously suspect. To be from Galilee was to be religiously suspect to maybe even be a pagan. A pagan, someone who practiced uh, the, uh, the, the, the religions of the empire. The religions of the indigenous people living around Israel, around, Judea, uh, around the, the Jews. 
Peter was religiously suspect. According to Frederick Bruner, um, he explains it this way. Galilee was not just geographically far from Jerusalem. It was considered spiritually and politically far too. Galilee was the most pagan of the Jewish provinces located as it was at the northernmost tier of Palestine. This distance from Zion was not only geographic. Galileans were considered by Judeans to sit rather loosely to the to sit rather loosely to the law and to be less biblically pure than those in or near Jerusalem. You see what we've been talking about? Proximity meant holiness. Proximity meant uh, more worth in the eyes of God. Right? To be further away from Zion, to be further away from Jerusalem, made you less and less holy, less and less worthy. Judean Pharisees, in particular, were less than impressed with Galilean observance of the fine points of Jewish religious observance. While praised for their passionate identification with Judaism and the Jewish people, their ignorance in law and disinterest in study was, almost never, was an almost never-ending source of fuel for Judean snobbery. So I've been trying to paint a picture here of how Peter would have naturally been regarded among his peers and among those uh, among whom he traveled. They knew right away that he was not one of them. He was dressed like a fisherman. He probably smelt like a fisherman. And as soon as he opened his mouth, they knew that he was not from Jerusalem. He was from Galilee. He sounded like it, and all the things that meant came with it. Taken all together, Peter was roundly questionable in his qualifications as a disciple and as a leader. Why? Because of what he did, who he was, and where he was from. Have you ever been shut out because of those things? You weren't from the right place. You didn't do the right thing. You weren't the right kind of person. We know what it feels like to be put on the outside before you even have a chance to, to make your case. People didn't give Peter a chance because of who he was, what he did, and where he was from. Let's read Acts, one more verse, uh, one more passage here. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. This is where Peter and John are before uh, the council of religious authorities. Uh, Acts 4, 1 through 15. This is where preaching with a podium would probably be better, huh? All right, Acts 4, 1 through 15. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests and, and the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? 
Well, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Did you hear that? They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Even in this eloquent defense of their actions, even in this, in the, up against this powerful declaration of Jesus and, the, and the, the salvation that comes only through Him, the people are saying, these are just ordinary men. How can they be saying these things? How can they know these things? Peter was observed, John was observed as being an ordinary man. In the King James Version, it says they, were, they recognized that Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant. It's like, how can these unlearned and ignorant people be saying such things? Who are they to talk to us like this? It's no wonder Peter wasn't expecting a rabbi to come to him. Not today, not next week, ever. Peter was not expecting a rabbi to come to him and to choose him. He was not expecting a rabbi to come to him and uh, call him to follow him. But then Jesus comes along. Jesus Christ comes along and he calls Simon Peter not just to follow him, but to establish his church, entrusting him to be the rock upon which Jesus is going to build his church. So what does this mean? Clearly, clearly, Jesus saw something in Peter that he could not see. Clearly, Jesus saw something in Peter that he didn't see. The people around Peter, they didn't see it either, but Jesus saw it. What did Jesus identify as those raw materials in Peter that he could use? Well, what do we know about Peter's characteristics? What do we know? What, how do we, what was Peter like? What words come to mind for you? Bold. Bold. Passionate. Passionate. Those are positive. That's good. He spoke out. He, he spoke out, right? Discipline. Huh? Discipline. Discipline, okay. Okay, those are more positive words than I came up with. Um, he was headstrong, right? Can we agree, stack hands? Headstrong. Peter's headstrong on three. He was headstrong. He was loyal. But he was also impulsive, right? Uh, he was hardworking. He, uh, he was trusting. He was committed. And he did have natural leadership qualities among his peers. I mean, the other disciples always refer to Peter as their leader. When they list in any of the Gospels, uh, in any of the, anywhere in the New Testament where you see a list of the apostles, guess who's at the top of the list? Peter. They all knew that he was, their, he was a leader among them. He was always listed first. So he had natural leadership qualities of some sort. Jesus only needed to take these traits Jesus needed to call them forth for his purposes and develop them. Jesus had to take these raw materials and develop them and through strategic challenge and intentional discipline. 
These are the things Jesus does when he comes to you, too, and he sees those raw materials. This is what he did in my life. He's doing in my life, and he did it in Peter's life. He says, I see these raw materials, and I can really harness these, but it's going to take strategic challenges, and it's going to take intentional discipline. And for Peter, there would be plenty of it. There would be plenty of challenge and discipline in those days spent following after Jesus. Jesus took Peter's strengths and his weaknesses, his successes, and his failures, and he used them all to develop him as a disciple. He used all these things to prepare him and equip him for his leadership calling. But in order for Jesus to fully do so, Peter had to give up some things. Peter had to leave behind some closely held assumptions. Peter had to first identify, recognize, and then leave behind some closely held assumptions and some deeply believed things. Sure, he had to eventually leave his job behind. He had to largely leave his livelihood behind. But more importantly, he had to leave behind beliefs about what was possible in and through him. He had to leave behind some, some faulty beliefs about his potential. He had to let go of assumptions about his ability to be used by God. Guys, there's people in this room that are held up by just this thing. You know God loves you. You know Jesus has called you, but you know he must be wrong because you have these deeply held assumptions. I can't do that. I can't be used for such a thing as that because I've done this or I can't do that. I've never been available or... A, a, an option for that we've got all these beliefs and reasons why God can't use us so the same thing Jesus had to do for Peter he has to do with us we've got to let go of assumptions about our ability to be used by God Peter had had to become willing to let Jesus define the terms to identify him to determine his future and to develop him fully as a disciple and as a leader so what about you? What about you? The same thing that happened to Peter, to one degree or another, is happening to you and me. Jesus has called us to follow Him. Jesus is sending us out into the world to reveal and represent His kingdom, to be His people, not just His disciple, but to be a leader, to lead others back to Him. So what about you? What does Jesus see in you that you don't yet see? Let's be honest. What is it you don't see that you know Jesus sees? What raw materials, what natural traits do you possess that He just might want to use? In what ways does Jesus want to use your strengths and weaknesses for His glory and to further His mission in the world? I mean, it's really not if, it's how. How does He want to use that? All of us are called. All of us are sent so we can rest assured He can and will use us. We just have to be willing and available. In what ways does He want to use your strengths and weaknesses for His glory to further His mission in the world? How might Jesus Christ challenge you? How might He stretch you? How might He even bring some discomfort into your life in order to grow you into your calling, into that person He knows you can become? What are you willing to leave behind in order to find out? 
Man, a lot of tough questions, isn't it? But what are you willing to leave behind in order to find out? What assumptions, what beliefs, what faulty thinking do you need to set aside in order to more fully follow after Jesus? To follow Jesus where he's leading? God knows what he's doing, guys. God knows what he's doing. It is never a case of mistaken identity when the Holy Spirit calls us to salvation and makes us a disciple of Jesus Christ. Nobody is a f disciple by accident. Further, no one is a disciple of Jesus by uh, incidentally. It's a choice, it's a conscious decision, a daily decision we make to follow and to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in us so that we might become more and more the person Jesus sees that we are capable of being, that he can make us into. God knows what he is doing. It's not a case of mistaken identity. Because of Jesus, you have all that it takes to become exactly who God says you are and to do exactly what God calls you to be. I mean, let's hear that over and over again in our lives, just like Peter had to hear it over and over again in word and deed with Jesus. Because of Jesus, you have all it takes to become exactly who God says you are and do, to do exactly what God has called you to be. To do exactly what He's called you to do. But can you believe it? Will you believe it? Well, guys, the future awaits. Tomorrow is right out there. How we live into tomorrow will make all the difference. Can you believe it? Will you believe it? And will you follow Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word and the, the example we have in Peter. Thank you that Peter isn't some uh, larger-than-life character that's uh, just uh, unapproachable in his uh, qualifications and his characteristics, his uh, strengths. He's a guy a lot, a lot like us, filled with, with uh, charisma, but also filled with doubts, um, headstrong, loyal, but also impetuous. God, I, I pray that uh, we would be willing to encounter you like Peter was, to let you come and defy our, our assumptions to challenge our, our inadequate thinking about who we are and what we're capable of. And God, may we all come to terms with the fact that you've chosen all of us. The fact that we're following after you means your Holy Spirit has drawn us to yourself. You've picked us. You've picked us for your team, your family. What an honor. But you didn't choose us because we were awesome. You, we didn't, you didn't choose us because we brought a lot to the table. You chose us because you love to do unexpected things in the world. You like to work through unexpected, unexpected people. You like to display your strength, your wisdom, and your power through the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world. And God, I, I, I want to be okay with that. I want to be okay with the fact that I, I am foolish and I'm weak. But in that, may you be wise and may you be strong. God, show your wisdom, show your strength through me. <laughs> Let me be the biggest fool I've ever been. Let me be as weak as I have ever been so that you might be more and more wise and more and more powerful and more and more glorified in and through me. God, I pray the same thing for my friends. There's a lot of people here, a lot of people I love, that if they could really be honest, they would say, yeah, but...
yeah, I know Jesus loves me. I know that he's called me to be a part of his work in the world, but I can't. You see, I've got this thing, or I've done this thing. I'm not qualified. I'm not capable. I've burned too many bridges. May you hear the Holy Spirit say, You're right. You're right. But hang on. <laughs> Watch this. God does His best work in the most unlikely places. He does His best work among the most unlikely people. And God, may that be us. May we stand in a long line of unexpecting people in the Bible who were quick to, to let fly with their excuse with whom you just barged right through it. You continued on because you saw something, you believed something, and you were about something in them that they couldn't even possibly imagine at that moment in time. God, do that with us, we ask. Heal what needs to be healed. Bind up what's been broken. And God, step by step, day by day, may we discover more and more of what you see in us and the work you desire to do through us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Hey, I think it would be a good use of our time to just sit for a minute or two. Uh, interact with the Lord. Pray. Listen closely. Maybe go to one of these passages and just kind of read it as a meditation. See yourself uh, in that story. That what God is doing in Peter, what God is doing through the other disciples, He desires to do in you. He is doing in you. He's calling you to be His disciple. He's calling you to be His friend. And because of Him, you have what it takes. So make the most of this opportunity.